Welcome to the Bountiful Water Podcast. I'm your host, John Briggs. We're going to tell a story today that has to do with water. It may not seem like it at first. But first, let's talk about our sponsor. Retigo Labs is an authorized dealer of Crusader water systems. We've got the best test at Retigo Labs, so we had to have the best water treatment system. Retigo tests for more than a dozen things that affect water quality, and from that, we create a comprehensive profile. With that profile, we work with Crusader Water Systems to create a custom system designed just for you. It may surprise you to know that our tests reveal that each home is different. Each home has different water chemistry. The city sends you the same water as your neighbors, but once it enters your home, it changes. As it flows through the different combinations of plumbing and fixtures and treatment attempts, the chemistry changes. Have you ever wondered why you don't like your tap water, but your neighbor's water tastes just fine? Or maybe you seem to replace water heaters all the time and your neighbor doesn't? It's not bad luck. It's just chemistry. Let Retigo Labs take care of chemistry so you can take care of your family. Together, we can have perfect water. Today, we'll spend a few minutes telling a story, a water story. It's also about other things, but in the end, we'll talk about a term known to a few people. That term is water footprint. It's a useful term. The water footprint of an individual or a community or business is used to describe the total volume of water used to produce the products you use or the food you eat. And maybe even they've even described the services that you that you enjoy. You'll be amazed how much water is used. So to the story first, after the Civil War, the nation reeled from the massive economic and physical damage. Most of us have some acquaintance with that story. Now, most of the fighting happened in the South below the Mason-Dixon line. Tens of thousands had lost limbs during the war and were in constant pain from amputations. Others suffered emotionally and physically from pain less apparent, but no less real. It's difficult for us to imagine the level of suffering today. On top of that, the economy of the South had been based on agriculture, it based on cotton agriculture. The time hit where cotton was no longer king and the South needed to reinvent itself. So living in the middle of this was an entrepreneur struggling to keep his business afloat named John Pemberton. He's a Civil War veteran and a pharmacist. He was a creative genius, but a terrible businessman. He failed and restarted businesses over and over. At the time, he was working to capitalize on the country's latest craze, patent medicines. You might have heard the term snake oil salesman. Well, this craze was trying to cash in on where that term came from. There literally was a snake oil that was supposed to cure everything. The products sold promised crazy outcomes. They promised to cure everything from baldness to cancer. I suppose it's probably kind of like what we see today in the dietary supplement market, but with no oversight. At least you have to prove some of your claims with the dietary supplement market. Back then, no one checked to see if what they claimed was in a product was actually there. So producers of these patent medicines could fill them with all kinds of toxic substances that wouldn't even, you wouldn't even use to clean your floors, much less eat or ingest in some way. People were ingesting these things like crazy. And some of these products, in fact, a lot of them had things like formaldehyde in them and borax. At the time, probably from this kind of thing, the rate of stomach cancer and stomach-related issues were at an all-time high. Well, Pemberton had witnessed firsthand how veterans suffered from constant pain from the wounds they received during the war. His personal suffering left him with his own struggle to keep from a, from any sort of morphine addiction because a lot of veterans suffered from a morphine addiction because that was the only thing that seemed to help was the morphine. 
So he was determined to come up with some way that they could fight the pain, but not become addicted to morphine. He was certain that he could produce something that would dull that pain. So he started experimenting with plants from around the world. One leaf that he tried, that he took an extract from, was had been used for thousands of years in South America, and it showed some real promise. In South America, it had been chewed and ingested by the indigenous peoples there during religious rites and also as a way to combat pain and fatigue. We know the extract today is cocaine. It was the latest miracle cure at the time. Some wines were even infused with it, and you can imagine became extremely popular. People just felt so good after they had some of this wine or just took this new miracle drug directly that they were sure that this was the cure for everything they suffered. There was also a strong African influence in the South, and that had introduced to the population a lot of plants and seeds that were indigenous to Africa, but rarely seen in America. One particular seed showed promise, but the combined flavor of these the extract with that cocaine and this other seed was extremely bitter. He knew it was going to be a big obstacle to cashing in on that lucrative patent medicine craze if it didn't taste right. So without something to mask the bitterness, no one would ever eat it. So Pemberton began experimenting with all kinds of essential oils. He tried lemon oil and lime oil and coriander, nutmeg oil, cinnamon oil, and a bunch of others. And on top of that, he started adding large amounts of sugar, trying to take the bitterness away. And eventually, he created a seven-ingredient concoction that, that he thought might be sellable, and it was improving all the time. The problem was that it was taking a long time. So Pemberton was steadily sliding deeper into despair, working long hours into the night. His health suffered. Pain from his war wounds were a constant concern, with the only fix being more of a problem than the pain itself, that morphine. Well, one day after having fallen asleep at his workbench, Pemberton woke up with an upset stomach. He grabbed a bottle of bicarbonate of soda to settle his stomach. After squirting some of that into his the first glass that was right there at hand, he downs it, and to his astonishment, it tasted amazing. He realized that he'd put the soda water in the latest concoction of his patent medicine. He had it. With that final addition to his formula, he knew that he'd figured out a sellable formula. He was exhausted and feeling like his creative genius was spent, but he had to name this product something. And so he just wrote out a name. His exhausted brain could think of nothing but just calling it by the names of the leaf and the seed that were the main ingredients. That day was May 8th, 1886. On that day, Pemberton's creation was officially named Coca-Cola, after the coca leaf and the cola nut extracts. He wrote out the name by hand and added a little flair on the first C. Foley intended that eventually he'd do something more permanent with that name and with that logo. It was never changed, and that iconic Coca-Cola symbol is essentially the handwriting of John Pemberton. Of course, there's much more to this story, including the reason that most people have never heard of John Pemberton. I guess leave some comments if you'd like to know the rest of the story in a future podcast, and I can work on that. What we're interested in is what this has to do with water. Benjamin Franklin once said, When the wells dry, we know the value of water. At the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned the term water footprint. It's a useful term and used to describe every drop of water used to make everything from selfie sticks to a bottle of pop. It's broken into three types of water. There's green water, and that's the moisture in soil and, and plants. It's the water that's used to make plants grow. Then you have blue water, and that's the fresh water that we see in the lakes and the streams and the rivers, and also these 
the the water that washes off the glaciers and the underground aquifers that we pump water out of. Then there's gray water. That's polluted water that's had no contact with any sort of toilet sewage. Gray water is from things like taking a bath, doing laundry, washing your dishes, watering your yard and garden. That type of water can be recycled and reused for growing plants and different things, just not for drinking water. So putting together those three types of water from those three sources, Coke released its estimates to the public, admitting that for half a liter of Coca-Cola, their green water footprint is 15 liters, the blue water footprint is 8 liters, and the gray water footprint is 12 liters. That's a total of 35 liters. So one 16-ounce bottle of Coke uses nine and a quarter gallons of water before you buy any of it at the store. That little bottle you buy at the store, nine and a quarter gallons of water went into the production of that product. If you take a look at the 10K filings for Coca-Cola, you'll find a list of the raw materials used to make to make it. It's a list shared with investors. That 10K filing is a list that they share with investors. And part of it is, is that they list the main ingredients or the raw materials that they use. Now, in the 2002 filing, they list the main ingredient as high fructose corn syrup. Water doesn't even make the list. It doesn't even appear. Jump forward to the 2009 report, and the section begins quite differently. It says water is the main ingredient in substantially all of our products. While historically we have not experienced significant water supply difficulties, water is a limited resource in many parts of the world, and our company recognizes water availability, quality, and sustainability of the natural resource for both our operations and also the communities where we operate as one of the key challenges facing our business. So what happened? Well, you know, between that 2002 and that 2009 report, well, one thing that happened is that as Coke expanded their sales around the world, some of the new sales territories didn't have a lot of fresh water. You can imagine the stir that would cause if a significant number of local people couldn't get a drink of fresh water, but Coke is using huge amounts of the local water to produce their product. Think of India. In India, water is seen as a bounty given them by the gods. Millions of pilgrims see the Ganges River as sacred. They take trips there to bathe in it. Now they see this company like Coke using that water to make a soft drink. There was also another more business-oriented reason. Many of the companies began to, many companies the size of Coca-Cola began to realize they'd been foolish to ignore how they use water. One example is IBM. They realized that for decades they'd spent millions of dollars, many millions of dollars cooling down water in one second uh, in their production plant. And then many more millions of dollars heating the water in another section of the plant. It seems obvious now, but no one had considered that you could use the hot water to heat up the areas that you needed heated in the building. You could use the cold water to cool down things that you needed cool. You could reuse the water. All of a sudden, reusing and recycling the water made business sense. Of course, it always had, but no one, no one had seen it. So big companies began to realize that the efficient use of water was not only a good way to look green to the public, it made good business sense. Companies like IBM and GE put out a report telling you how much water they use for a dollar of revenue. They were using 11 ounces of water to generate a dollar of revenue. Well, Coke did that same thing. Coke uses 333 ounces of water to generate a dollar of revenue. That's just the water used in actual in the actual manufacturing facility with the production plant or within the production plant. They use 2.43 liters of water. 
That's one liter of water to produce the drink. The rest of the 1.41 liters of water is the water they use for manufacturing, cleaning. It's the processed water they use to make the product. That, of course, doesn't count the other 33 liters or 32 liters of water described in the water footprint, but it's amount they could actually control, so they decided to make an effort to reduce that amount. Their first effort to work on conserving water between 2004 and 2008 resulted in cutting the amount of processed water per liter of drink by 8 ounces. That doesn't sound like much until you consider that 67 million people per hour drink Coke. That 8 ounces translates to 8 billion gallons of water in 2008. Today, Coca-Cola not only sells Coke, but also holds the rights to over 500 beverages, including their popular Dasani water. They get that water from the same water you get yours from, from the tap. They filter it bottle it, and sell it for what costs three cents a gallon from that tap for about $12 a gallon at the convenience store. At the lab, we've tested that water, and while it's free from anything bad, it's pretty free from anything good as well. There's very little of the minerals needed to have healthy water. Do you know what happens with water when it's unbalanced and in need of minerals? It dissolves those minerals from anything available. I imagine their slogan of, I want to buy the world a Coke, has become, I want to sell the world a drink. They want to sell them a drink of anything, of water, of Coke, of anything that they have to sell. And they're in business to do that. So, of course, that makes sense. Now, I'm not an anti-corporate guy, and I'm not intending to pick on Coke. In the end, we love our soft drinks, but we need our water. What I've chosen to do in my own house is put together a system that gives me the cleanest, healthiest, and best tasting water possible. I figured out a way to do that and paid the system off just by not buying bottled water all the time. It's taken a bit to get my family to understand that that water is the same. We've just gotten into the habit of thinking you need to open a new bottle of water for the water to be good. The old stuff, like I'm talking one day old, is usually just ends up getting dumped in the pet's dish or just thrown in the garbage. Here we have water in our toilets, cleaner than a billion people worldwide can get. And all we can think of to do with day-old water is throw it away or feed it to animals. My youngest teenage daughter was the, was the hardest to convert to this new system that I put in. She's part of a generation that's grown up suspicious of what comes out of the tap. I asked her once why she doesn't like tap water, and she just says, well, tap water's gross. And I said, well, what, the flavor? No, just there's bad things in it. She had no real, real uh, examples of this, just... She has grown up watching the news, watching what comes on the TV, and she believed that tap water was bad for her because that's the message she's got. So I started in that little conversion process doing a dad thing. I started buying her favorite bottled water. She liked the kind with the flip top. After each of those bottles was finished, it would be discarded anywhere but the trash, of course, teenage life and all that. I'd find them rolling around on the floor under a bed or different places. So I'd pick them up and refill them with the water from my custom system and put them back in the fridge. I know, it's a total dad thing. I don't apologize for it. I thought it was hilarious. She didn't notice until she finally figured out there wasn't that satisfying little snap as the plastic security threads released from that little ring on the top. For a while, I actually considered gluing them back so that, you know, I could keep tricking her. But I figured that'd probably be a little too far of a dad thing. I mean, I'm already refilling water bottles. Anyway, instead, I pointed out that she had loved the water that she was drinking and that she'd been drinking it for weeks. So it's taken a while, but now we refill those bottles that I had bought 
regularly. I want to eventually stop using those altogether. I know using those old bottles is probably not a good thing, but this is a process we're going through. I want us each to have our own reusable bottles that we that we put in the fridge that we fill up with this water and reuse that probably isn't going to be difficult. For the last several years, it's been cool to buy those hydro flasks and companies have used those hydro flasks as promotional items. I must have 12 of them rolling around in the back of my kitchen cabinets right now. I like the idea of not only saving money on water, but helping out the environment from the massive amounts of plastics that end up in the environment each year. Do you know that almost 83 billion pounds a year of plastics from water bottles, 83 billion pounds of water bottle plastics are never recycled. So where are they? They're blowing around in fields. They're sitting in landfills. They're floating around in the water sources, that sort of thing. So many large companies around the world are beginning to recognize that a more thoughtful and intelligent approach to water use makes good business sense. We're not going to change the world with a single podcast but we can begin the discussion. I've been surprised to realize that no one really sees themselves as having any relationship with water other than that they drink it or they bathe in it. It's quite literally the most important substance in our lives. Your grandparents or great-grandparents never could take water for granted. If they did, they didn't have water. The only reason we don't think about it all the time is because there's those that do. There's those that work day and night to make sure that water's clean for you. We just need to begin to ask the question, So here's one for you. What's the water like in the home you're about to buy? Did you know that home inspectors don't check anything having to do with water quality? I was shocked when I found that out. They check for damaged water heaters, but not the damage the water is doing to the water heater. They check for water damage, but not damaged water. We'll discuss this in a future podcast, but knowing what I know now, I would never buy a home without calling Retigo to test the water. It's that important. And it has to be a test done by a company like Retigo because nobody else tests this way. You can get tests like this, but you'd have to go to a you'd have to go to a very expensive lab. So what Retigo has done is create this test that is able to put together a profile of the chemistry of your water in your home very inexpensively. And that is new. It's a new thing in the world. It just was patented last year. So I think getting that test done before you buy a home is very important. Like I said, we'll talk about that in the future. For today, thanks so much for listening to that story today. I'll try to find more interesting stories to bring you and share the results of our water bottle tests that we've done in an upcoming podcast. Today, we touched briefly on a story about the creation of one of the world's largest beverage providers and their recent acknowledgement of the importance of water as a business strategy. Huge corporations measure everything, and that's how they know just how deeply attention to water affects the bottom line. In our homes, we don't really have that same level of attention. If we did, we'd do a lot of things different. If you know how much it was costing you to ignore your water, you'd be amazed. I'll leave you with this. It costs the average family of four $250 a month to ignore their water. That doesn't even factor in the money spent on bottled water. When the costs are actually measured the same way big business does inside their facilities, it's that expensive, $250 a month just for a family of four. I'll leave you with that. Please like this podcast, subscribe to it so that you'll be notified of new podcasts, new discussions. Leave comments on water-related topics or questions that you'd like us to discuss. Check out the website at www.retigolabs. That's R-E-T-E-G-O labs.com. So we can show you how to save that $250 a month and control your home's water footprint. And I'll leave you with our with our sponsorship message because 
This part is important. Retigo Labs is an authorized dealer of Crusader water systems. We've got the best tests, so we have to have the best water treatment system. Retigo tests for more than a dozen things that affect water quality. And from those tests, they make a comprehensive profile of your water. With that profile, we work with Crusader Water Systems to create a custom system designed just for your water chemistry. It may surprise you to know that our tests reveal that each home has different water chemistry. The city sends you the same water as your neighbors, but once it enters your home, it changes. As it flows through the different combination of plumbing and fixtures and treatment attempts, the chemistry changes. Have you ever wondered why you don't like your tap water, but your neighbors is fine? Why your neighbor is losing water heaters, but you're not, or you're losing water heaters, but your neighbor isn't? It's, it's not bad luck. It's the chemistry. So let Retigo Labs take care of the chemistry so you can take care of your family. Together we can have perfect water. Thanks for listening.